0: What I've decided is that what we're going to do now is um, all the cold opens and extra material are going to be for Patreons. Interesting. It solves two problems. It gives our Patreon subscribers some extra content. It makes our podcast sound a little more professional so that people aren't confused as fuck when they listen to us for the first time and they don't know what the hell it's is going fair. on for the first, sometimes 10, 15 minutes maybe, depending on yep. how loose we got. And then it's also... So great though. <laughs> I mean, but again, I don't want to lose that. So this is the way to yeah. do it. So it also is more convenient for our Patreon subscribers because then they can just subscribe to one feed instead of two different ones. And then they get all the episodes in that feed. And, uh, yeah, so I feel like it just solves a a lot of problems all at once. I like that. Yeah. So I think that's the way we'll be doing it. And since I have a backlog of six episodes to get out, uh, this will probably have already gone to effect for the last six weeks as you're hearing this. So if you're confused (laughs) as to why all the cold opens disappeared, just subscribe to the Patreon. As bad of communists as we are... We're we still losing tiers. money. Like, I guarantee you, we're losing money. Like, no, yeah, we're I mean, operating in the negative for sure. <laughs> we have no tears. So, $1 a month is as good as $5 a month as far as subscribing to our Patreon. And you still get that extra episode a week, plus the cold opens on the regular episodes. It's like, I feel like you're getting a lot for that dollar. Like, you can tell we're not capitalist because this is the worst trade deal in history. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Turn Lifes Podcast. I'm Mike, he him. And tonight I'm here with Sterling, he him. Ward, he him. My special guests tonight are Krista. Krista, what are your pronouns? She, her. And uh, Ian, how about you, bud? He him. And uh, Robert? He him. Cool. Glad to have you guys. And so this is going to be a, a follow up to our episode on democratic socialism that we did with Brett. And so obviously, if you listen to our previous episode, we were uh, not super kind to democratic socialism or democratic socialists. So, uh, yeah, we have some Democratic Socialists and DSA members on tonight to talk about it and give the points of view, which I'm happy to do. You know, I mean, one of the things I always like to do is clarify when we're memeing as opposed to, like, what we actually believe in practice and, you know, what we expect out of politics. But uh, let me go ahead and hand you guys the floor to introduce yourselves. Uh, let's start with you, Krista. What's your association with Democratic Socialism and the DSA?
1: I am the treasurer of the Wilmington, North Carolina chapter. So heavy hitter, I would say. Hell yeah. Just a new member, like most DSA
0: members do. How long have you been in the DSA?
1: Um, we started our chapter in March of 2020. Is that right? Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Nice. Maybe a little bit earlier. I was not at the very first meeting, but I was there at the beginning.
2: Right, and how about you, Ian? I was in DSA not very long. I mean, we, um, we organized the chapter. I was on the organizing committee just right around the time COVID started ramping up and it went really well for about three months and it completely tore itself apart. Power struggles and fighting. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it was ridiculous. To mm. say the least. And, and the, um, regional leadership totally failed us. Mm. Um, so that left a really bad taste in my mouth and we can get into more of that later
0: yeah i mean any number of topics i'm sure will come up we can talk about like definitely keep in mind anything in particular that you would like to talk about and uh don't feel hesitant to bring it up if you want to just interject something but uh, uh robert how about yourself
3: um i'm the chair of the wilmington north carolina uh chapter of dsa so
0: oh cool
3: been been organizing with Krista since well since the Bernie campaign and then starting our chapter
0: nice all right so i guess i'll, I'll just try to start it off um I didn't prepare anything for the episode tonight. I just kind of wanted to hang out and hear your guys' points of view. You know, I would like to hear some defense of democratic socialism and the DSA in particular. But I think I would just start off by saying, like, thinking back onto what we said about democratic socialism, I would say that probably our main criticism of it as an ideology and of the DSA as a group is that I would, um, I would just not expect the Marxist revolution in America to come from the DSA or any democratic socialist organization or group or movement whatsoever. I feel like the whole premise of it is to work within the politics that exists and reform it. And I feel like the best you can hope for in that situation is reforms that could then be taken away within the next administration, if not a little later. You know, you see things like Taft-Hartley that we've just been recently discussing and how it has gutted the labor force in America and union workers and how that has left just devastation for a century afterwards. But um, yeah, I guess I would expect that if it were to happen in America, it would be a revolution that sprung up organically out of probably the Black Lives Matter movement, because I think that's the closest thing, again, credit to Jamie Penn for opening my eyes to that, that we have to a vanguard party in America. And I feel like we just don't really have the potential for that to happen because, again, I caveat almost everything I say with the premise that, like, what I expect to happen, what I would like to happen are two entirely and completely different things. Like, I would love to see a a Marxist revolution in America born out of Black Lives Matter, but what I expect to happen is just a further decline into neoliberal hell and just like, you know, privatizing water and just more of the same, like just everything just gets worse. And then partly memeing here, but like also kind of sincere, I feel like China is just on the rise economically and it's going to continue to lead the way as far as environmentalism is concerned and America will just be lagging behind the whole time. And I don't know, I feel like that's as far as I can consider the future personally, I feel like your best bet is probably just to learn Mandarin as a, a safe bet. But go ahead, Sterling.
4: <laughs> I, I was going to say, it's funny you, you brought that up because that's kind of my experience also with the DSA. Uh This last year it, during like the whole COVID thing, you know, I got to know a few of the main Atlanta chapter members and they would send me emails and try to get me to to come to like their meetings and stuff. And I just never would do it. And I finally took them up of all things for trivia night, like a virtual trivia night. And had an absolute great time. And since we we're doing trivia, and at some point trotsk up and I made a comment of best uh, use of a pickaxe in history, I accidentally re- revealed my power level. Hilarious. And, the, <laughs> and they, uh, they started directing some pretty uh, tanky-oriented questions, and I could tell the older members were really not okay with it. And I threw China out there, and I was like, well, what is your stance on China then? I was like, you've, you've figured out I'm a Marxist-Leninist. I'm probably one of the few here. I was like, but let's talk about China. And they just went crazy as if China is some like fascist regime going down the line. And I, I sat there talking to them for a second until someone finally changed the subject. But it was like with China and with Marxist-Leninism, this chapter, especially the elderly members, um... Or not necessarily elderly members, but the members that you know had some senior uh, members, so, yeah, some, some, some some tenure, some <laughs> some tenure on the others. They they were very much against any kind of real world communism or socialism, any kind of Marxist. I accuse
2: them of being racist. Be like, well,
4: clearly you hate me, <laughs> right? And it it put a bad taste in my mouth. And I know that that's a very large chapter that's not comparable to some of these smaller ones, but I. To me, that's kind of one of my issues with the DSA is is a lot of these chapters don't act as organizations to help educate and and push people left as much as they act as nets to catch people who are going too far and pull them back towards the, the more democratic socialist center. And that's a, a big issue I take with them. And that, that's one reason I, I wanted to get to know more about the smaller chapters. I assumed that you guys were subject to a lot of the same issues because we've also talked to people who have had experience with the smaller chapters like Shahid Batar, who ran against Pelosi Uh, This last race and did very fucking well. Like what was it like 30 something percent of of the vote against Pelosi, the hardest seat in Congress to go for? Like her her seat's insane. I mean, she hasn't done a debate since Reagan was in office and he did tremendously well against her. But the DSA last minute before his campaign really did like their final push the DSA got all these emails from the DNC saying we're going to cut off funding to all local chapters for anyone who supports Shahid Batar. So every local DSA chapter in in the San Francisco area started pushing Pelosi and getting their members to vote Pelosi. And they they voted uh, president. Embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they literally stopped yeah. progressing to go for fuck for a Reaganite because they were afraid of losing DNC funding. And I was curious, how would you guys deal with that kind of command? And also, do you guys take any kind of DNC funding directly or indirectly?
3: I didn't even know that was an option.
4: Yeah,
5: <laughs> I like hearing that.
1: As the treasurer, I can report we don't have any money. Um, <laughs> that's why I made
5: this <laughs> Just nail home the poor commie stereotype. I like it. Yeah, I love it.
1: <laughs> Robert, can you please speak on uh, China a little? I find uh, your yeah. finger to go
3: up. Yeah, I mean I love China. My brother lives in China, so I get a lot of secondhand information. Um but it's I mean it's really great because you get like a point of view from someone who actually lives there and can tell you like how things actually work. And like, yeah, China might be a little bit bureaucratic, but they also have full employment. So that tends to happen when everybody is doing something, right? That's okay. At least it's not like one person doing everything. But yeah, I I don't think that anybody that I know in our chapter has an anti-China stance. I don't know. I, I think we're a little different. So so like we started our chapter. Basically, our first meeting got canceled because it was going to be at the library, and that was when they quarantined. So we spent the first like eight months essentially organizing via Zoom, which I would not recommend. Mm. But to kind of get to know each other and to build our our education we started doing a book club series and that was really nice because for a lot of people, it was kind of the only thing they had going on besides work.
4: What kind of books?
3: So the first book we wrote, we read was it's like a biography kind of analysis book about the black Panther party. So it didn't start off real soft. We did one on Jason Hickel's book, the divide, but we paired it with uh, Lenin's imperialism. Nice. Nice. I have a Michael Harrington book sitting on my shelf. It's possible I will never read it, but it is there. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could really speak in nuance in the
4: Get some parentheses in that uh, digest. Yeah, yeah.
3: I don't I don't think I'm uh could tell you a whole lot about the Harrington version of democratic
0: <laughs> socialism, unfortunately. What you got, Krista?
1: I I would say like one of our very first in person meetings was at the divide uh book club or book discussion and we had a member that was talking about the evils of cuba and how authoritarian it was and we basically had a struggle with her yeah and i was like you know it's really rich uh, calling another country authoritarian i think all of us bristled naturally at that because yeah. I mean, I, I suppose that this so-called, like, two-party system that we have, which we know is two parties that serve at the pleasure of capital and are not going to <laughs> not change at all, like, I suppose that some kind of choice, is, maybe if that's your argument... But, I mean, it's weak. And, um, you know, one of our, even one of our older members, because you guys were talking about older, you know, members, but we have some, a guy that is a historian that's, you know, in his 70s. And, yeah, I mean, I think he plumbed her up as well because he's traveled with Cuba, is going back this year. So the international aspect of the international politics of DSA, before it was basically, in my view, taken over by us, the new members was abysmal. I can't argue with that at all. I mean it it really was. I mean but if you look at the resolution in twenty seventeen of like pulling out of the Socialist International and and the resolutions we just passed at this last at the last convention, I think that you can see that the character has completely changed from the organization.
0: I mean that's good to hear. I mean like what I was getting at in my intro is that like I was just trying to sum up like our criticisms into something that I feel like I could stand behind as like our position on this podcast, you know, because, again, thinking back to that episode, I understand we we just said some shit like, you know, the DSA just sucks or the DSA is going to like say a bunch of radical shit and then just <laughs> tell you to vote for Joe Biden. I'm just trying to sum up what I think my, our overall criticism would be. And I think that that's what I would stand behind is that, again, I just don't think the the Marxist revolution is coming out of that. And that doesn't mean that there isn't still some good work to be done in the DSA or any similar organization. Like, I'm sure that you guys are doing plenty of charity work and also getting things done on a local level politically, making improvements in your cities and your towns and everything. But I guess just what we would say of that is that it's always just going to get rolled back as soon as, like, capital takes control of even the lower level of politics. guys don't.
4: I just wanted to make a quick uh, note here because she's talking about one-party systems under communism. That's not even always the, the case. Like the, Under Stalin, the, the 1936 constitution, that was when he introduced a multi-party system, and the USSR literally had multiple parties. They weren't very successful, obviously, but it was perfectly legal to do that, to run under a different party. Mm. Go ahead, Robert.
3: Yeah, I mean, in China, I think they have, what, five major political parties? Obviously, the CPC has the largest share of their votes, but there are other parties.
4: Well, on going, you know? Oh God. Ward will appreciate that you said CPC instead of CCP. Yeah, it's, it makes me happy. Um, one of my favorite
5: interviews, uh, it was like a, during a documentary, this um, like sociology expert in China was talking. Like, one of his favorite jokes is that uh, in America, you can change parties, but you can't change the policies. But in China, you can't change the party, but you can change policies.
0: Nice. That's that's a fantastic way to word that. Yeah, that's a great quote.
5: Yeah, I'd say so. Like my personal view on DSA is that just due to how organizations are in the United States, and that you can't just have like an outright revolutionary party, that the DSA itself is just able to be co-opted, just like uh, Sterling was saying with the Shahid Batar election, just like being pulled funding. Or, um, like I brought up on, um, uh, the Rev Left episode with Brett, where the 2019 DSA convention, they had anti-China, put heavy quotes, labor, labor worker rights organization, uh, speaking out against China, an organization knowingly and openly funded by the National Endowment for Democracy as a known CIA front.
4: Not based. Not
3: based at all. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree that, uh, Definitely some of the more established chapters have a long way to go to escape that um, just because they have so many members and their leadership is probably established back years prior. So I agree that I definitely see that. And you see like the kind of candidates that they endorse, but at the same time, the, I guess, sort of dialectical view is you see like right now, a lot of people in DSA are getting fed up of candidates just totally burning them, right? Like AOC and her recent Iron Dome vote has stirred up a lot of tension within DSA because a lot of people are saying, maybe we just drop this person, right? Maybe this candidate, we don't even have anything to do with because they need to have some values. I don't know if it has to do with just running too many campaigns and people are getting burned out. And at this point they want to use their effort and their labor in a productive manner. Um, but I know personally electoral campaigns are very exhausting and it's a lot of work to go knock on people's doors and cold call people. And if your candidate turns around and does something that doesn't represent you, it really wears you out. So I I agree with that.
4: A couple things. One, obviously extremely not based to vote for the uh, iron dome, but you know, at at least she shed a few tears, you know, it really broke her up. The, have to be responsible for all these Palestinian deaths, but um, I shouldn't laugh at that. It was really interesting. I'm sure she's going to
5: shed tears for when she votes for, congress to allow for a land invasion of China. Like I'm pretty right. sure she's going to do that as well. So, don't worry. Yeah, she
4: she's voted she's voting for ICE funding. She refused to take uh, Medicare for all or Green New Deal to the house floor when Pelosi was actually vulnerable. Like my question is, when do you guys cut ties cuz this ain't the first time she's fucked up. You know,
1: I envisioned a future that Bernie won. And then I also right after that envisioned how am I going to react when I hear about the drone strikes that he's continuing to do. Because if you are serving at
0: the behest of
1: our empire that we're in, then there's not much you can do as far as the levers of power. I don't think that we have any chance of a revolution within our current politics. I mean, again, I just... And I think that a lot of our our chapter members and stuff agree with that, that, you know, that's not... That's not within the realm of possibility. Um,
4: Not until the water wars, but maybe then.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, basically we're looking at climate collapse driving a revolution. Uh, More likely, I think the global south will lead it. I think a lot in our chapter thinks that it will come from outside. We're living in the most propagandized center that has created a completely different type of human being that can't that's completely alienated that can't really formulate a, a coherent political strategy and that's where we find ourselves the only reason that I would say you should join your local DSA is because it's very hard to do solidarity in your house so
2: go ahead Ian I like
0: and then Sterling
2: yeah okay uh, i agree with you uh, on the alienation point and i think what it does is it it, it turns especially leftists and left and people in leftist orgs Turns you inward to where you start cannibalizing each other, and that was a lot of uh, my experience. The DSA experiences others had uh, that I talked to in different uh small chapters as well. Um, I think there's an ideological or an internal ideological problem. I think we can kind of all agree on that. You know, you, you can say like old versus new, or or whatever, uh, geriatric millennial versus <laughs> Zoomer, <or> whatever, <laughs> but. I don't know. What I see, at least in my experience, I I think we were doing really, really well um, when we started. The, uh, whatever, the regional leadership told us, you know, we had like 100 dues-paying members. And this is a rural city, very small. But, like, just the way it went down was really uh, ridiculous. I mean, we had started out, like, canvassing for Bernie and forming the DSA out of that group. We even canvassed and basically ran in a a whole campaign for this um, somebody running for Congress got her to come out for Medicare for All, which is very very fucking hard to do in South Carolina. You know anybody running on a Democratic ticket or whatever. But what I started what what started happening, and I I saw this I saw it in Atlanta. I was, I saw it in Nashville. The DSA is is a big tent kind of socialist organization, which is good. But it attracts a lot of, you know, liberal mindsets, liberal mentalities and liberal tactics. And, you know, DSA has been swallowed up by the machine like AOC has been swallowed up by the machine. I'll go as far to say BLM has been swallowed up, you know, turned into um, a spearhead for the empire, so to speak, at least when it comes to its internal workings. Like, I mean, I'll just tell the story. It's ridiculous. But we had just to give you some context, we had. Someone in leadership who was accused of sexual harassment. You know, I did my due diligence and I'll tell you right now, it was bullshit. But I mean, the mob just set upon this guy and ripped him apart, destroyed his life. You know, it was disgusting. And I know every DSA chapter goes through that shit. I know it happens everywhere. And it used to be a Fed tactic. It used to be COINTELPRO tactic. They'd send in agents To accuse somebody of racism or accuse somebody of sexism or to make, you know, allegations about something to to destroy him. And now, I mean, maybe this Fed's doing it, but now we're just doing the Fed's jobs for him and it's creating a lot of resentment. It's not just making, you know, DSA look bad and look like hysterical libs that can't get shit done because they're too busy cutting each other's throats out. But, I mean, it's turning leftists against each other. You know, we're we're becoming enemies now. I mean, we tried to have a meeting after all this shit happened, and it almost came to blows. Like, there were threats of violence. I mean, it almost came to, like, you know, physical attacks on each other. And, true? I mean, it's gotten out of hand. Absolutely out of hand. You know, you, it might be a right-wing talking point, but cancel culture and all that shit. It's a huge, huge fucking problem on the left. And it's anti-working class. It's anti-human. Like, you know, it's, it's bourgeois tactics. And it's just, I don't know, that's my viewpoint.
4: Did you go yet, Uh No, I don't remember the first thing I, I had, but I did want to just ask our DSA members here, why DSA? I mean, if, if you guys already don't necessarily agree with the main arm of it, and you probably have had a lot of similar experiences that Ian has, I mean... Why necessarily do a DSA chapter? Why not something else?
1: Well, I would say that um, I'm sorry about the experience you had with the setting off the chapter and that it went so bad. I mean, we had... I mean, we, we begged
2: regional leadership for help and we got, I mean, ghosted totally to just stop answering emails and we did all by the books, did everything the right way. You know, there was so much potential and... You know, and and there was failure in leadership, failure on my part, like we could not rein people in, you know, and and that's a problem in the greater culture, especially on the left.
1: The only thing I can say is that we've been fortunate that we haven't had to go through a grievance process with like a member. I do think that that in any kind of organization is something that needs to be handled judiciously and certainly not coming to blows or cancel culture or any of that kind of thing. We've we've been lucky. I mean, we have a good group of comrades, I think, you know, I mean, we just, we're not a friend group. We're not a social group, but we can all trust each other to do the work. We tend to have the same like goals in mind. Democracy has been hard at times, that so we have to vote for things. I mean, I had to put my brake light clinic resolution up there a couple of times and convince members it was something worthwhile doing, that sort of thing. But I could see how it can go horribly awry, but I don't think that I would lay the blame at the foot of leftists in general. You know, I, I think this is a struggle of putting human beings together in a room.
3: Sure. And yeah, Robert. Yeah, and I, I think. It might be a flaw of having a very decentralized organization like DSA is. It's and it's not led from the top, really, it's led from the bottom or the middle. I don't know. But it's it's very spread out. And if you there's a lot of variation between different chapters and even in their like regional leadership, I don't I think South Carolina is considered the same region as us. We're in Appalachia. Not sure how we count as Appalachia, but that's the region we're in. This is Appalachia.
0: It is. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how your experience
3: differs from us. Like we've had very good engagement with our region and was it late last year or sometime early this year, they actually started a program where new chapters get appointed, like a mentor from someone who's been an organizer for a while. And that's from an established chapter. So we have a mentor from an established chapter in North Carolina. And that's been really helpful because it's someone to kind of push you along and, you know, keep asking you every time you get together, Hey, what are you guys doing to challenge capital? Want to do a breakout clinic or what, how's your mutual aid? Can you do more of it? Like, so that's very interesting. And to me, that's a flaw of the staffed organization of DSA. The paid staff is that there's inconsistencies between the different folks that work there.
2: Right.
1: I think I think part of this is like growing pains too, because it didn't seem like there there's the influx of people that want to do things, you know, and want to. I mean, we're up to like 230 some chapters and almost 100,000 people for an organization that kind of just simmered at like under 10,000 for a long time. Um, so I do think that there's probably some real failures there. But like that mentor program that we have. We meet with her every two, I instituted the mentor program. It's my own life. I'm like, what have we done this week? You know, like what are our goals? I mean, they, they have, she has done a lot to just keep us on track and make sure we have resources that we need and let us know what other resources are available. So I can't really slight them too much. We had a, we had a Carolina's um, meeting or convention last year, maybe six, seven months ago, which was just North and South Carolina. And so much came out of that, I thought, with the different chapters trying to work, like how can we push for Medicare for all in North Carolina, for instance, which is not the same kind of issue that Some of the bigger chapters, Metro D.C. or New York, is going to face. So we have different material conditions here.
0: I wanted to ask, what is a um a brake light clinic? I'm assuming that's where you guys like get together and like fix each other's brake lights or Mm -hmm. other small repairs you stop getting harassed by the cops.
1: Um, I'm pushing one on on um, Sunday. So like you were saying about Black Lives Matter being the closest thing we might have to a vanguard party. We partnered, for our break light clinic anyway, and for pretty much everything we do in our chapter, we're trying to support any structures that already exist. So, like, we're having our break light clinic at a community center that was founded by one of the local founders of Black Lives Matter, for instance. Number one, because he's got a place... And so we. You know, well, what, like, what even is it? We,
0: what is a brake light clinic?
1: What we do is we believe that police interactions are dangerous, and we think that we reduce them by fixing people's brake lights so they don't get pulled over. It gives oh, us so a yeah. chance to give them like uh, pamphlets. I mean, it's just free for anybody that might need it. You know, we looked at the statistics in our state. People get pulled over constantly, and it just is a way to harass the poor and harass people of color for no
0: reason. So it's something we can do. Hold on. So I'm going to let you go, but I just want to, I'm kind of still tying into what I was saying in the intro to all of this is that like, I would say like, go ahead and join the DSA. Like even in the episode we did as critical as we are, because we're trying to be funny, we recognize it's great to do. Like I always recommend people join their local organization, join your SRA, join whatever organization is nearest to you and do mutual the aid work. Because, was that
4: So the SRA is very based.
0: Oh, yeah. Or the PSL or the Party of Communists USA. Apparently the CPUSA, not as based. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, join (laughs) that too. If that's all you have, I don't fucking care. Like, that still falls in line with my original criticism of the DSA, which is, like I said, join that or any other organization. If you think that you just want to help people locally, you want to do some immediate direct action and mutual aid and that kind of stuff. And the brake light Clinic is exactly what I thought it was. Like, I'd never heard of that before, but that's a genius idea, like, to help people just do the simple repairs on their car that they may not be able to afford to do or may not know how to do. It's a great idea. But just like I said, don't think that you're starting the Marxist revolution. But then also, that's still actually maybe the case. I could be completely wrong about that. Like, I don't think it's likely, but maybe some revolutionaries come out of the DSA. Maybe they joined there and they found other like really based comrades like to hear you guys when we started off the episode tonight. To hear you guys both say that, like, you have better opinions of China than I expected and that you are hearing a lot of really based shit coming out of people that you're in the DSA with. It's like. That's probably the best thing I could go into this episode hearing tonight, is that our views of the DSA as pretty much the equivalent of anti-Soviet communists during the Cold War here in the U.S., I thought that that's pretty much what the DSA was. And if you guys tell me now that people are actually getting a lot more radicalized because they're seeing the failures of AOC and the Biden administration, and they're seeing, you know, a lot of their hopes just quashed right before their eyes. Great. Like, radicalization is what I'm here for. Let me go with you, Sterling, because you had something, and then we'll go with Robert.
4: A couple things. One... I'm going to kind of disagree with you in the sense of, you know, go out and join the DSA or local organizations. And the reason I'm going to disagree, and and I think the SRA and a lot of these other organizations are great. But I still think that the DSA as a whole is counter-revolutionary in in the sense of like Marxist-Leninism. And I'm glad to hear that there's some local chapters that aren't so much in in line with that issue. But that brings me back to the same question I, I asked before. If your chapter is not in line with the national wing of the DSA and you don't believe that the DSA is the vanguard of the revolution, then again, why DSA? What what gets you up every morning and makes you think this needs to be DSA instead of something entirely new or, or a different organization?
1: Robert, I've got a point after this, but... uh Eric, go ahead. Um... I don't know how we start a revolution without a mass movement, and I don't know how we do that without class consciousness. And without any... Personally, I do doubt that that is even possible, okay? Because I'm 40 years old. I've been watching everything deteriorate. Everything is worse, you know? Maybe, and also, just as a little side note, maybe Harrington had these crazy ideas because he saw something that possibly worked. I mean you know different generations of people experience the world differently and we can only react to it the way that we can react to it the way that i personally think and the way that
4: oh, uh, okay. the
0: you DSA... got something quick
4: hey, sorry not to cut you off but just for our listeners who don't know who harrington is can you give a quick little synopsis
1: i am not the best like i said i haven't i i do have a book on the shelf too i haven't read it
4: wasn't he just the founder of the dsa
1: he, he was the founder Of the DSA that, like, broke off when the Socialist Party, I feel like I'm going to get into the weeds and lead you guys astray, so...
0: No, no, no. No, just just continue with your point. We just wanted to make that point.
1: He was part of the, like, anti-Vietnam War part of the Socialist Party that broke off, and they started a few different organizations, then merged, and then became DSA in, like, the 70s. Okay. That's what I know. (laughs) Is that right, Robert, uh... You
3: know more than about him than I do.
1: I read a Wikipedia article to get ready for this
0: um, today. No, no, no. I mean, literally just saying that he was the founder of the DSA would have been sufficient. That would have been fine. We just wanted to okay. clarify that a little bit. I mean, as he asked that, Sterling then opened up a bottle of wine and started drinking right from it. So we're not asking for like an essay here. It's fine. <laughs> okay, good. Continue, continue good. with your original point. Sorry about that, Krista.
1: My original point is what I think and what I think a lot of members of the DSA And I don't think that we're out of line with the national chapter. The national committee could possibly be out of line with the membership, I suppose. But I'm pretty proud of the resolutions that they passed at this last convention, you know, whether or not they are getting co-opted by the CIA. I mean,
0: that's a badge of honor. By the way, just as another aside,
1: at one point we had uh, a member of the CPUSA uh, attend one of our meetings. That was definitely a fad. So um, I feel like we're getting our name, though. <laughs> um But back to class consciousness, which I think is really important. I think that the role that the DSA could serve if we're to take hold here in the U.S. is setting up some wins, like making demands and maybe making a win so that people see what's possible. The tenant organizing that uh, is going on in the chapters like in Winston-Salem and stuff, preventing evictions. Robert wants us to become the rent control party. Like those type of things will let people know of the, the power that they actually have. And I don't. I think the way to do that is to organize on a person to person basis where you live. I can
0: right. see two very different angles of that. I can see the angle where you're organizing locally. You're making yourselves known in the community as the people who are the go-tos if you find yourself houseless all of a sudden or you find yourself just hungry and you need some assistance locally. I feel like that could come in handy once things start getting really bad and we start seeing, like, collapse levels of... I mean, another thing just to clarify is, like, there's never going to be any kind of universally or even nationally defined agreed-upon collapse of the U.S. There's just going to be, like, areas that are red zones and green zones. And in the green zones, everybody's going to be going to still get coffee and going to work and watching all the red zones burn and flood on TV. So, again, you definitely want to make yourselves known as the organization to go to when you become the red zone. But I also don't know if that's it's not like the way to build a revolution, because the other angle, it's great to get wins like through policy or whatever. But it's like, how great are those wins again if they are just immediately slashed or gutted or done away with entirely by the next administration that comes into power? Because somebody voted for a make, you know, random town in North Carolina great again, that candidate, they just voted for this guy who said he was going to cut their taxes by percent they're not even going to notice but it sounded good to them on paper it's like with what we know is looming right around the corner in a few years time it it feels like those wins are so minuscule and so just inefficient it's i i I would like to say that like they were going to lead to more class consciousness and get people on board with a fallen revolution but i also feel like it's that same argument that we made in our uh democratic socialism episode which is that when you give people those herring like the fish that's like the placating thing that gets them away from revolution. It's like if you just like I was saying on that episode, if you gave people Bernie, you let Bernie win. Bernie would still be dropping bombs on Yemen, but he would have given us universal health care and he would have actually driven us further away from revolutionary tendencies because people would have been placated sure. that way. Okay, go ahead, Krista.
1: It's the like, you know, like the New Deal, right? I think a lot of people think of the DSA as like the New Deal Democrats or something like that, maybe. I mean, that was saving capitalism. We understand that now. I mean, I've, this is what <laughs> we do during our political education. When we're not fixing people's brake lights, we're studying um, and trying to educate ourselves as, as the way that, the, uh, the cap- I mean, our first book, we read uh, Black Against Empire, and we read How the Black Panthers built Power by uh, the Breakfast Program, you know, which was immediately like, once that was an alternative that was available, then the state started providing that to take that away from them. They're going to try to take every alternative away from us. If we ever get successful, they will murder us. I mean, we know how violent uh, a system that we live in, but I don't feel like it's not worth agitating for and fighting for, because if were we to ever build enough of uh, a mass movement or, like I said, some class consciousness, because that's where this is going to come from, Well, I mean, what else is there? I mean, we can give up. Uh, I want us to jump on podcasters tonight. Should we start podcasts? Is that the way to do it? Uh,
0: (laughs) No, I mean, I'm going to go with Robert and then still, but I will say, like, everything that I'm saying tonight about the DSA being ineffective or just not getting things done and not starting the revolution applies tenfold to podcasters. We are not doing (laughs) a fucking thing. (laughs) <laughs> like, the only thing that I can ever hope to do is radicalize people. Like, that's why I called my page Turn Left. That's why do. we ended up calling the podcast that. It's like, I just want to take libs and push them a little bit into the tank side. Yeah. Just come over to the tank side. It's the best place to be because they're going to call you a communist anyway. So just be a fucking communist with us. Be edgy and fun. It's the place Yay! to be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Go ahead, Robert, and then we'll go with Sterling.
3: Yeah, uh, so I don't want to be, like, dogmatic about the DSA. It has plenty of problems. And I think those should be worked on, right? Should be resolved. So I, I would encourage people to think about it in terms of like any, any leftist organization, right? That's in your area. If there is a DSA chapter, get involved because more than likely this is going to be great experience like organizing. So a lot of people don't have, you know, they're not naturally going knocking on doors, talking to people, talking to strangers in their neighborhood. So these kind of things, it's really good. Cause If you want to be a revolutionary, you're going to have to be good at talking with people. I think that's pretty universal, right? So you can build some skills. You can meet new people within your organization, within your chapter. You can find other folks who are interested in revolutionary leftism, form small reading groups and so forth, and just push your other comrades to, let's get to the solution, right? We're we're in it to win it. And that's kind of my attitude is pitching this to people to say, I hear this in DSA that people say we want to destroy capitalism. Okay, well, if you want to win, there's a strategy book. There's a lot of strategy books that have been written, right? Like there are people that have done it. So learn from them. But yeah, I I just try to be optimistic that as I see new folks in DSA at local and at national level. So this year's convention, I attended mostly the workshops, but like there was a resolution that I actually don't know if it passed but I know our international committee resolution passed with overwhelming support to expand the international committee, which went to Caracas this summer for like a leftist convention. Um, and they talked about the communes and the debrief from that, the committee was talking about how, look, this is a like an example of the withering of the state, right? So there's people that are clearly versed in the theory and are looking for these certain things that we talk about all the time. So, to me, that's, it's optimistic. I'm optimistic um, just to see individuals more and more sort of speaking the language of revolutionary
4: Um. Okay, so I got a, a point and then a couple more questions. My point, I want to kind of expand on what I said earlier about don't join the DSA. And I, I want to uh, edit that a bit. And what, what I mean is, That probably isn't what I meant. What I meant to say is it's fine to join the DSA, but I do believe there's a point in which you leave the DSA to go towards a more revolutionary path. I see the DSA as a stepping stone. Like if a liberal is looking to go further left, the DSA is is a way to do that. But I feel like that's not the end game. I've never seen the DSA as an end game And that's why I'm even kind of hesitant to even tell someone to go join the DSA. But I will say this I've got a lot of incredible leftist friends that had incredible experiences in the DSA and wouldn't change them for anything. So I'm not anti DSA, but I do have a couple questions. Like, one, do you see, like, within the next, uh, who knows how many times, like in our generation, do you think that there will potentially be a president who represents any like common DSA uh, objectives? Yeah. Okay. So then yeah. my follow up, my, yeah, my follow up question. <laughs> nice. I like directing. Yeah. My follow up question is Do you see the DSA within our generation or even within the next generation as being a revolutionary front that overthrows the government and installs a socialist government? No. So
3: my personal opinion is that if the DSA is going to do anything, it's going to be a vanguard type group out of the DSA of people who have been working internally towards that goal. And they emerge out of the DSA, but because the DSA is so tied to them, that's their support group. I like a, you know, a backup team, I suppose you could say.
4: Absolutely brilliant.
1: Also, uh, I wish Robert would, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but he is our leader of our chapter. Um, The silver bullet theory of Medicare for all, like there are some things that we could get done that I think would help a revolution. Come, yeah, come and
4: on. I'm not super familiar with the silver bullet theory, but I'm guessing you're yeah, saying Robert's like,
1: personal theory. So okay, okay. I was, I was that, gonna say I'm
0: excited to hear that one. Yeah, I was gonna I say I'm getting.
1: I'm very sorry. I'm, I'm actually kicked out of my chapter right now. He just
3: texted me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to me, the idea of Medicare for all passing it seems so remote because I think if that did pass, it could wake so many people up to like what's really possible. Just because healthcare care is I huge, right? And I think that the bourgeoisie in the U.S. is just never going to let that happen because they know what power they would be potentially
0: unleashing by allowing it. As the resident pessimist, I will say that we could get Medicare for all tomorrow and people would just be that much more placated. They'd be like, like I was saying earlier, they would just be like, oh, you know what? Maybe capitalism isn't that bad. Like maybe neoliberalism, like Biden's actually a fucking hero. Like Biden really is the new FDR. Like. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's the question. Do we let people suffer to accelerate a future that is better for all of us? Or do we
4: That's an or important do we fight question. for
1: a better future? I mean, we're really? uh, now. Sterling, as there
0: wasn't an accelerationist.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I personally believe that there, there are uh, comfortable and safe ways to move forward that are not accelerationist. And I don't believe we have any of those options. So to me, accelerationism is still better than what our alternative that we actually have is. He says uh, but, he's
0: a straightaway male with three cars in his driveway. <laughs> <laughs> Apologize.
4: Right, right. But I, I kind of want like, I, I loved a lot of the things you guys were saying there. I felt like that was some of the most synchronizing we've done yet, and I, and I appreciated that. So my, que- my next big question is, if you, you don't really see the DSA as a vanguard, but potentially people who come forth from the DSA as a vanguard, you don't see DSA resolutions showing face in a president, I'm kind of circling back to that first question is why not start something different? Because I, from just listening to you guys, it seems like you put studying and, you know, educating yourselves on leftist ideologies above, you know, typical DSA agendas. You would rather be in the community and not only help people, but actually educate people on on these leftist theories and Vanguard ideas. So it, it kind of brings me back to the same question of, What is the benefit in you guys being a DSA chapter instead of something entirely different?
0: And I just real quick, whoever wants to answer that, go for it. But I just want to real quick interject this like crazy, ridiculous fictional theory that has had in my mind. Um, Just imagine for a second, Sterling, if like there were like different levels of extremist organizations that people could join or not join, you know, depending on what was their speed. And that maybe as they become more or less extremists, they jump from one to the other or find other comrades and then maybe they do or do not, like, do some shit because they found some other very base comrades in those orgs. And So maybe it's just, like, whatever org you join is fine as long as you, you get to the level of base that you need to be at someday and you really do some shit. But, like... Yeah, you go from uh, Hufflepuff to Slytherin, you know? <laughs> and I'm gonna, really I'm, like I'm gonna have to just cut all of that. Like, I'm trying to think of how much of that was, like... <laughs> this is all theoretical. But no, I mean, I also think on the same vein, like, I really wish that there was the level of leftist conspiracy and collusion that the right wingers think is going on in America. Like, I really wish that Bernie and Xi Jinping really controlled Biden, like puppet masters, just like telling him to do all the shit that we want. And I really wish the Antifa were turning over America with our new pronouns and bathrooms and everything. Like, I wish all that was happening. But in reality, I think it's, like, the reason that they're able to to see all those conspiracies that don't exist is because they see a podcast like PodSave America, or then, like, a podcast like Rev Left, and then they see an org hey, like DSA, and then they see orgs like the PSL and the SRA and everything. And so they see what is a range that they can identify of, like, various levels of leftism, and they know that there must be some, some shadowy fucks that they haven't heard about, hopefully. I'm hoping that they're out there, because... But certainly not on a podcast. We would never do anything. We're all very good boys. But whoever wants to take the actual answer to Sterling's question. Sorry about that.
3: Yeah, I don't think the revolutionaries are living in our
0: city either.
3: Well, I mean, they might be on this podcast, but yeah, I mean, it, it depends too, right? So in Wilmington, the DSA is, I guess at this point, already the largest leftist organization in town. So we have like two or three other groups and we work with all of them and we're larger than them combined. So. There's not a lot of options. And even one of the groups we're working with, I'm a little disappointed because they did endorse all the Democrats last local election, which I personally disagreed with, but I, I don't have a vote in their organization. So, you know, they make their choices. But yeah, I mean, I think that theory is not far off, right? If, if another organization comes along or you can form another organization that gets you closer to where you are personally and ideologically, sure. I think that that might start happening, that there might be more, I don't want to say hardcore, that seems almost violent, but, you know, more revolutionary groups, right? And I think people will maybe either leave the DSA or leave other leftist organizations to join that, or they'll remain members of both and try to kind of pull the DSA along. So I don't know. I think we have a lot of future ahead of us. The left is very weak, so there's a lot of growing to do.
5: Yeah, I... I feel like, um, especially since we have like some pretty base comrades on here now from the DSA versus like what we envisioned them to be. I agree. I feel like it's a combination of like just what Robert was saying, like the largest stage available to them, but also like a combination like brand recognition so that they are utilizing, and Chris, that you're going next, so you could probably, like, get some more clarification on what I'm saying because is just my speculation, but it's just, you know, having the largest stage available to them, the brand recognition of the DSA so that they can reach out to the most amount of people as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, our goal as our chapter, when we first started it, talking with the best of our chapter, um, it was to become a home for leftists in Wilmington. To me, it is astonishing. I've lived in North Carolina my whole life. And by the way, like, Wilmington is not national North Carolina. This is not progressive, kind of. It's uh, very far from it. Ian, South Carolina, my condolences. <laughs> I mean, you know, organizing is it's really tough but it's what is available to us. It's the largest organization we can go out and represent ourselves as socialists. I mean, we had members that suggested, like, maybe we shouldn't call it socialist, and that was violently opposed by our membership because they were like, maybe we should just call ourselves something else. And we're like, we absolutely will not call ourselves anything else. I mean, that is the the baseline, you know, to acting uh... democratic centrist. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, we've had that, okay? And by the way, it is a democratic organization, which has its weaknesses, but, I mean, it is who the membership is. So all of this, like, yeah. uh, hemming and hawing about what national does versus what... The, yeah. We vote on everything. It's messy. It's a little hard, I mean, but you can come to our chapter, by the way, and say, I think to to endorse all the Democrats, and you'll be voted down. I mean... We have a political education wing. That's what we spend a lot of our time on. So we don't have to like harangue anybody into voting that down. I mean, that's what we're doing every day. And so I think there's a lot of value to being part of the largest socialist organization in the United States, the one that's existing right now, the one that's present. Again, I thought of joining it back in 2000. You know, I was a fan of Barbara Ehrenreich, so I I read her books and. You know, was it but again, it had all the value of subscribing to a magazine. At this point, though, it has some real value because it's where I live, it's who I can organize with, it's actual human beings. And I'll just say it again, like I I just felt like solidarity was very hard to do by myself. So you know, and, and again, I think I think a lot of chapters and our chapter of web as well, like, has focused on shoring up any of these organizations. Robert let the cat out of the bag. Everybody that we support, we're basically larger than, but we're taking people that are. I would say a lot of our new members and the members that come to us are people that are online and they want to do something in real life, and we're here. We exist. And that gives them an opportunity to organize in real life with other organizations. So, sorry, I talked too much.
0: No, it's all good. Go ahead, Ian.
2: Um, I was going to ask, are any of your members, or especially new members, would you say they're all working class? When I say working class, like, they don't just, like, work a regular job and they're working class. I mean, like, do they come from a working class experience or do you see more, like, middle to, like, upper middle class experiences i mean uh college educated versus non college educated people who grew up in like poor neighborhoods trailer parks people with a, a real with the trauma uh that comes along with being working class like yep. are you do you see yourself reaching those people not
1: do you want yeah. me to answer well, I mean, I mean, Robert might be a little more well-to-do. I mean, I grew up without heating and air conditioning in my house and extreme poverty. So, yeah, the trauma that comes along with that, that's something that we have to face in every leftist organization, too, because the innovation of capitalism that we're all living through is our oppression is also individualized, you know? So we all come to it with a lot of extra baggage, which I think causes some discord and... In um, leftist organizations in general. But yes, I mean, I would have been happy to live in a trailer. You should live in a house with no insulation and no heat. (laughs) But, you know.
2: Absolutely.
4: Yeah. Now, uh, I wanted to say, first and foremost, I've been, by you guys, like a little rough around, but that's not disrespectful. That's because. If, if I didn't ask a few direct questions, all of our listeners would have just been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I would have got drug for it. So I did want to make sure to ask a few direct questions. You guys, I mean, you've really, truly opened my eyes to some things about the DSA that I, I didn't know were a thing. And like I've, I've been super impressed. I still think... I, I don't quite know why you do the DSA instead of something else, but I do believe that your chapter is, if, if I lived in your area, I'll say this right here, I would personally gladly join your chapter and be a part of that. And I, I hope that's one thing that our listeners do take from this, is that there there obviously are some chapters where you can't find some real camaraderie. And I had a few more things, but let me let, me let Mike take it real quick, and I'll jump back into it.
0: I, I just wanted to say, like, I hope that nobody who listens to our podcast on the regular took from our episode on democratic socialism, that if their only option is the DSA, they should just not join the DSA. Like I I feel like the message was kind of implied. Like if there's a more based organization around you, join that one instead of the DSA. Like if the (laughs) PSL is there, join it. If the SRA (laughs) is there, join it. If the party of communists is there in your town, join it. Or if you can start a branch of any one of those, go ahead and do that. But if all you have is DSA and you want to help some people around you, fucking join the dsa like i I feel like that should have been implied there's a lot of things we say that go ahead that's also that's also a backhanded compliment but yeah sure i mean i'm saying that in front of dsa people like i'm just like i i started off the episode with my position which is that like the marxist revolution is not coming from the dsa but still joining anyway if you want to help some people and i feel like i'm going to end the episode with that same position and like i see where you guys are coming from but i just don't know if like I don't know what you could really say that would change me from that. You know, I'm not saying it's not valuable. I just don't think it's going to be the next Londonist front. Like,
4: I think I would have a blast hanging out with these comrades here. If I lived in the oh, area. I, yeah. I, I think we would, we would read books that each of, of us recommended. And I think we would learn and grow together. And I think, Hey, you said Wilmington, right? If any of our listeners in Wilmington, like, honestly, these are some straight up comrades. Like, you know, look, look up the chapter. I I really wish I was closer and I could I, I truly would enjoy enjoy
0: these comrades company but I well, do I say, think that, you, I say that not as a dig on you know our yeah, comrades yeah. here of course it's just on the what the limits of that particular organization what what that you know what the DSA is and does you know what i mean like I agree I agree Maybe you find some comrades that are more to your speed as far as the new revolution of Marxist America is concerned. I don't know. Like, maybe you find that in the DSA or you find another organization that is like more Marxist Leninist. you know, maybe you get more radicalized from being in the DSA and meeting other people there. So yeah, I mean, definitely do it. I don't ever mean to say don't join the DSA if that's the option that you have. Like, of course. Yeah, Krista.
1: I'm sorry again. Like I would say join your local DSA and radicalize your local DSA chapter. It is a democratic organization and we are made up of our
0: members. So
1: it is what we want it to be. It's not the Democratic Party anti-democratic, you know.
0: Yeah, that's that's the other side of that. It's like maybe you are the tanky in the DSA that gets some other libs <laughs> in the DSA to go ahead. So Yeah. Just
4: don't let the DSA hold you back. That's my biggest critique of anyone who joins the DSA is get in there, meet some comrades. If that DSA <laughs> lib as fuck, flick them all off, tell them to go suck your nuts, whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> I'm I'm already a little drunk. And and nah, get the fuck okay. out. But if you have true comrades in there. That. <laughs> literally, yeah.
1: Oh, Man, another, another clinic that we do.
4: That's based. Yeah, That suck my nuts clinic. I love it. Um, So, but if you do have some comrades in there, that's awesome. But just keep in mind, the DSA at large is probably not going to be what pushes you into being a true revolutionary. So understand that it's still on you to educate yourself, to figure out how to organize even beyond what the DSA is capable of. And I think that's kind of my, my point of where I said, join the DSA until you raise your power level and then go somewhere else. That's probably not fair either. Just join the DSA and understand you have work to still do on your own if you want to join the DSA. But I also want to say, just because there's been a couple comments about, you know, us not really like potential for revolution, I like to remind people like we live in revolutionary times. Like, yes, the United States, we may not be overthrowing capitalism within our generation, but Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, China, like we live in an incredible moment in history. And the DP refusing and fighting against imperialism is about as fucking revolutionary as it gets like learn about these revolutionary countries and governments and learn about what they're doing and and educate other people about that like we do truly live in revolutionary times you may not have the opportunity to go fucking pick up a Kalashnikov and, and go do your part that way but that doesn't mean that you can't truly like just talk to people and, and open their eyes to some of the truth and try to break the propaganda that just is covering our country and also i feel like i I have to do this but we have built a lot of common ground so it's fair for me to stab once but i just want to say i don't like to call the dsa socialist i don't want to say if the dsa is your best socialist option in your area that go for that the dsa is democratic socialism which is a very different thing from socialism to me i see socialism as simply the process of moving from capitalism to communism, which I do not believe is what the DSA is about. I believe the DSA is about trying to install socialist components within a capitalist system, which to me the, the syntax is, is kind of important there. So I just don't like to call the DSA socialist. I may be wrong there, but I feel like just for my listeners who, for whatever reason, listen to me personally, I'm not the smartest one on the podcast, but I felt like I, I just had to put my opinion there. We need Jared. Yeah, Jaren would be great. right.
5: But I yeah, feel like since I'm the tankiest tank on the podcast, dude, he um, out
0: tanks the tankiest.
5: <laughs> yeah. So, a few of my thoughts on it is that I don't think any official organization that works within the framework that is the US, you know, because you can't just have outright revolutionary organizations. There's not going to be an organization that we ever find that is going to be perfect. So, like, We're just hoping, like, we're expecting this, like, amazingly revolutionary vanguard party, everybody armed up, leading this Marxist vanguard party, and we know that that's not going to happen. The U.S. is going to end up being dragged kicking in. Marx didn't even
4: believe that. Marx didn't even believe that. Marx fucking shit on the ultra-left utopians constantly, even in the fucking manifesto.
5: Yeah, and so, like, I think it's just going to come down to socialism in the U.S. is going to happen Because the US is gonna get dragged kicking and screaming by the global south into socialism. And so with those expectations in mind, there's not gonna be any perfect organization that we think is gonna be the one all be all of anything. And so, as our comrades here have shown, like they're pretty fucking based for what we assumed what the DSA would be. You know, they blew our expectations out of the water. And so if you need to be that tank in the organization, be that fucking tank, radicalize people, but just know like you're probably gonna have to wait till China invades or fucking climate collapse happens, <laughs> and every other country drags uh, yeah. the U.S. into socialism. Yeah, Robert.
3: I was just gonna say, I think something great you can do if you even if you end up in a sort of liberal uh, the chapter is start reading discussions on imperialism. Personally, I found studying imperialism to be highly radicalizing, and I think it sticks the pin in the social democrat. Sort of line of thinking because it's predicated on imperialism. So I think that's great, right? Bring those things up, talk about how the global South is moving in a direction far faster than the US. Go ahead, Ian.
2: I wanted to say that um, y'all have actually really made me feel better about my experience. You know, uh, I was bitter for a long time. And I don't know, talking to you guys, it's definitely been, it's healed some wounds, not completely, but a little bit. But yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, just keep doing what y'all are doing. Doing the break light clinics, the mutual aid stuff. Win the loyalty of the working class uh, and the support, because that's what it really boils down to. And hell, keep doing the electoral shit, too. Because really, I mean, the more socialists that are in power is more essential to me anyway. And this is how they did it in Germany, you know, KPD and, and all that. They, you know, the more of their people that were in power, the more strikes they could pull off them just the more street power they had it has to translate like your power within politics increases the power of goons and thugs like myself you know to do hood rat shit you know what i'm saying
4: (laughs) i could not possibly agree more like studying and, and understanding imperialism and fascism and colonialism like I don't read history because I'm a communist. I'm a communist because I read history. And like, parentese, black shirt, incredible dig into understanding imperialism and fascism. And you know what, what happened under Mussolini and and speaking of Mussolini, the Pope and Mussolini, but David Kurtz are like an incredible book on Basically, the relationship between Mussolini, which, for anyone who doesn't know, Mussolini was the fucking blueprint for Hitler. I mean, that was his biggest inspiration. He literally coined the word fascism. But how the Pope worked hand-in-hand with Mussolini, and I mean, just understanding how like uh, just in history how these fascist organizations have operated and how like even like the church has operated alongside fascism and they've accomplished goals together like when you actually understand some of these historical events god I couldn't imagine how you could not become a communist
1: I would add one small point and this is personal this is not a position of DSA but I really feel like our part of waiting for the revolution that Xi Jinping will maybe bring us one day is to educate if, we're lucky. if we <laughs> yes, if we're lucky, is to make that political education base and is to like be available when the revolution comes to make sure that it doesn't turn into a reactionary hellscape or something like that. I mean, we talked about it. everybody knows the propaganda is so thick here. So anything that we can do where you live, talking to people, learning together, organizing together, I think is worthwhile. And in the South, to me, I, again, I, I think I said it before, but it's amazing to me that I can be an out-of-the-closet socialist. And I, Sterling, I do think that a DSA is socialist, by the way, I think they're- That's
4: fine. That's
1: why I'm here. It's the only socialist organization where I live and to me it's amazing that it exists so if you are living in a place we're not going to have a psl here okay <laughs> i mean we're living in a fascist undemocratic state especially in places like north carolina so this is this is what we have we're playing the hand we're dealt and we're learning together and hopefully that will be enough when and if the revolution comes whether that's from climate collapse or the global south dragging us into it which is Personally, is what the direction I think that it's
5: going to take. Yeah, I'd say bouncing off of um, Krista's point, where like uh, establishing that education base, like that'd be amazing having the educational base set up for if a revolution comes. But also just being able to set up your network of comrades and start building your own commune so that we can actually survive climate collapse until somebody decides to save us. Oh, yeah. That easy, please. Like that would is also be great, you know, setting up those communes that we could help take care of each other during climate collapse.
0: While the last few of you have been talking, I've been thinking like it's unfair for us to sort of criticize the DSA as much as we do, I guess, without offering a better vision of what we would like to see. And I think my personal vision, what I would like to see is like a bunch of people in the backs of pickup trucks and Subaru Outbacks waving like trans flags and hammer and sickle flags with their AR-15s and their Kalashnikovs, like Hell occupying yeah. an entire an entire strip mall parking lot on a weekend because and they're say, in such support. Park
4: electoralism! Like, yeah. tell if the DSA picked up like
0: anti-electoralism, holy shit! <laughs> I I would like to see a socialist party in America that draws those kind of rallies because when I drove by just on a Saturday afternoon, I'm not kidding you guys. Like 200 pickup trucks, all with like these huge flags in a parking lot, just in proud support of Trump right before the election. It's like. Nobody told them to do that, they organized that shit on Facebook themselves just because they really believe it. I just want to see a socialist organization organize that. But like I said, with the trans and, and hammer and sickle flags. And when I see that, like not seeing that is what contributes to our our cynical attitude towards the revolutionary potential of America. As looming as climate collapse is, we feel like it's going to lead more fascists because we see those, but not the alternative that we want. I feel like even that kind of display And then also if people in the community know that they can go up to anybody in that truck rally with all the arms that they're wielding, that they could ask them for food and like housing assistance if they need it. That would be the most powerful thing we could really organize. But let me go with you, Sterling. And then I saw that Krista had something.
4: Yeah, I I just want to say if if I personally, the DSA was interested in one recommendation I could give them, it's to completely abandon electoralism. Like I, I live in Atlanta. If the Falcons win the Super Bowl, which will never happen, but if the Falcons win the Super Bowl, that'd be dope. My city would go nuts. We'd have a great time. My life would not change, and that is completely electoralism. No matter, even if Bernie gets in there and he made a few changes, they would be somewhat substantive. They'd probably just be overturned in a a small period of time, but the truth is the American empire would continue on and nothing would really fucking change. Like, to me, electoralism might as well be fucking sports statistics. Like, fuck it. It's like what you guys are doing, like your, your brake light things and, and meeting and actually doing real world praxis on the ground with other people and educating people. Like If the DSA focused on that and said, fuck, whoever's even running for anything, like to me, that would be so much better. But I mean, I, I still get it. But go ahead, Chris.
0: Oh, I just had a comment. Uh, I'm armed. Uh, Robert has a truck. So we can make <laughs> that happen. I'm armed with a truck. I wanted to clarify about what I said. What I want is probably an entirely unrealistic expectation of any organization in the fucking Imperial Corps that is as far right as it already is. You could not realistically organize the, the rally that I'm imagining on facebook or any other social media platform you know what i mean like as soon as we even started talking about having a whole bunch of leftists openly waving like hammer and sickle flags and trans flags in the back of the trucks armed with like semi-automatic rifles and shit as soon as you started talking about that the police would be there armed to the teeth breaking it up before you could even do anything and it's just i feel like we know that that's the case but it's still like I i wish it wouldn't stop us from trying that's why i said what i said
5: what earlier when i was like that nothing no organization here in the united states is going to meet our expectations or fulfill our wishes
0: right and th- i mean that's what i'm saying like it just tied into like what everybody was saying it's like i just really would love to see i guess a different america entirely and that's why we kind of have to fucking it sucks like we got to wait for our daddy g like yeah. yeah stop being idealist mike
4: i kind of i kind of had a question like are there any like ground rules that the dsa gives you guys that you have to kind of go by like would you get in trouble if you flew like the CPC flag or the CCCP flag like in your chapter?
1: No, and that's actually one thing I wanted to bring up. And the last member survey that they did for the convention where they asked everybody to fill it out, um, there was a huge thing like how you identify? I mean, 40 different fucking ways that you can identify communists on that. I haven't seen the results of that member survey, but CSA National is reacting to the membership because that is becoming the leadership. So once again, join your local DSA and make it as radical as you want. It's an organization that's open for the taking, unlike other organizations that we have in the United States. Do so.
4: you guys talk to your uh, members and like explain to them what communism is versus what you were basically raised to believe?
1: I mean and that I mean in our own chapter yeah I mean that's what our book discussions are and I mean our weaknesses like Ian brought it up too like we need to be more working class we need to have a broader membership I think I mean our chapter's small so might not be the the best thing but like that's what the whole political like education part of our chapter is. And that's what most people that join our chapter are really interested in because they are people that are online that listen to podcasts that read books that want to organize with other people in the real world. So that's what our membership is made up of. And we can make that anything we want it to be, because again, it's democrat, It's actually democratic and you know, it's the members.
2: Absolutely. Well, I, I'm going to disagree with Sterling on something, real fast. Nice. Please do. The, uh, <laughs> I get what you mean about the electoral thing. I mean, I, I thought that way for a long time. I've changed my mind on it only because, if, I mean, if you look at history, it just seems like creating dual power, like you were saying, you know, having truck owning flag waving, you know, good old socialist people. Um uh, <laughs> it's great to create that sort of dual power um, that could one day in a revolutionary situation, you know, seize power in some sense. But I do think like electoral politics will have to play some sort of like, we'll have to have at least some of our people with a foothold in there to, to open the door for us. I mean, um, what was that guy on January 6th? There was some Republican that literally just like unlocked the doors and like let a bunch of people in, you know, like, we're going to need those kinds it, of people on the inside. I, I think I think
0: his name was Nancy Pelosi. No, oh. yes. <laughs> I mean, that's another part of what I would like to see. In addition to the the truck rallies and the strip malls is I would like to see socialists doing a January 6th, but then also having demands once they get the floor of the fucking podium. Like they had the microphone right there and they could have said whatever. And they just said what's up you guys like trump won the rise again (laughs)
1: very poor political education campaign they've clearly run so if we were to get in i think we would do better you know which
0: i mean in my mind okay so then that just kind of reaffirms my position is that the right wing does so well because it is just innate to american culture which is why they can get into the capital without having any fucking demand because they are not only in the the culture of america enabled, but physically and materially enabled because they are so tied in with the military and the police and everything. And it was like a fucking inside job to begin with. But anyway, disregarding all of that, the other half of what I'd like to see in addition to the truck rallies is the socialists doing like a January 6th thing. And I just, to Chris's point, I feel like it's unrealistic in this country because of how far right it just fundamentally is.
1: Well, we would be murdered. Yeah. I mean, they—they they were not a threat to capital, and that's why they were in. I mean, hundreds know. of Ashley
0: Babbitts, like hundreds.
1: Yeah, and hundreds you guys would be on the side of DSA once we start getting drone strikes, because if we're successful and we're an actual threat to the capital, like we'd like to be, um, they will start killing us.
2: <laughs> then it's time for a protracted people's war. After that, <laughs> I can tell. I can hear the South Carolina. <laughs> We're gonna run up in them hills. We're gonna wage protracted people's war on them. (laughs) I I think we could.
0: Worth a shot. How big is the Southern Maoist contingent of the DSA? Uh, We got a good five people. Good five strong. You know? I was going to say, just the words Southern and Maoist shoved <laughs> together just sounds so weird and foreign to me. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, imagine, like, just to go off on a tangent, like, that could be a real thing, because there is, in Ward, you will attest, there's a, a contingent of people in the gun culture who know full well that Vietnam beat the U.S. because they, like, hit out in trees and everything, and they, like, idolize that. Like, they fantasize about doing that same kind of thing down in Dixieland. Go ahead, Sterling. That is That is a
4: very slim minority. Like, the large majority of of people down here South believe that we absolutely wipe Vietnam off the map. Like basically Vietnam no longer even exists at this point. (laughs) I mean, they, they think we won and that we won by a considerable margin and that all of our retired military that are currently dying of Agent Orange is because of the Vietnamese doing like they they brought that shit out here. Like, I looks like gone, motherfucker. Yeah, and and the the biggest thing is that they're not fucking white. Like, you can't make so these fucking southern rednecks appreciate anything China related because they're not fucking white. And at the end of the day, these motherfuckers are so goddamn racist. I can't even explain it.
1: True. As a redneck, uh, I would like to just say. um, That's not entirely
5: accurate, but, you know. Yeah, how do we uh, turn the gun culture's, like, hatred for the ATF into, like, hatred for capitalism?
1: I mean, I try to tell these people, like, you're talking about the government's going to come take your guns. Who do you think that is? It's the police. (laughs) I mean, what is the government? But, but, yeah, no,
2: it's a lost cause. Get rid of the Blue Lives Matter sticker. The demographics have to change. You know, a lot of the boomers have to die off. I think we're getting there. I think it's possible. It. Yeah. Yeah. The
0: <laughs> yeah. great boomer remover. We got about 20 minutes left in like our allotted time. I want to give like everybody the floor. If they have any major points they wanted to make, if there's anything that you came in tonight that you really wanted to discuss or talk about and you haven't felt the opportunity to, please do so now. But uh, go ahead, Ward, we'll start with you. Yeah, no, I don't have like any
5: points that need to be discussed or anything, but I just want to say that I'm glad like our guests are super fucking based. And awesome
0: yeah, comrades, of course.
5: Yeah, I was kind of hoping that we were getting some like Rad Libby DSA members on so we could just talk shit the whole fucking time. Kind bad, but I'm actually way happier with how this episode's going and there's such common ground and that like how base our comrades are. I just want to say that.
4: I completely agree. I thought I was going to get to dunk on some fucking libs and instead a bunch of fucking tanky comrades showed up and I'm just like fucking saluting him. <laughs> i serve the soviet union comrade
1: i was only here to make fun of
5: podcasts but you guys are the real deal thank you please make fun of us
4: yeah no we we totally deserve it but we we do have some really cool uh listeners that that are real active in, in our patreons like we we do have some really awesome comrades who really are here to learn and we try our damnedest to uh, do them justice, uh, usually Jaren carries the weight. I feel like you guys got Jip not getting to meet Jaren tonight. But you know, as long as we can leave our listeners with something that they could take away from this, you know, we feel like we've done our part. You know, that's that's about the best we can do in the fucking best of the beast. But you guys, n- not only do I feel like you you've probably helped us educate our listeners, you you've helped educate me. I appreciate that. I will say, like, e- even my opinion of the DSA is, is changed as of tonight. Um, I still think that the DSA at large, the larger controlling body of it, sucks ass and, you know, suck my dick. But uh, I definitely now believe that there are some really cool local chapters uh, doing real-world praxis, and I commend that. Can you guys name
1: this episode, Join DSA?
0: I don't oh, have the no power, but...
1: <laughs> I think I do, actually.
0: Uh, award, we actually gave her the Potter's role when she joined because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, so I don't know what powers that gives her in our Discord server, but I told her just, please don't fuck anything up. Like I can fix that if you need me to.
1: You might want to get on that because I'm learning yeah. how to name this thing in like five minutes.
0: <laughs> we could call it that. I think that would actually be hilarious and ironic and also not ironic because I can <laughs> join the DSA.
5: Yeah, I'm down to name it that. But like I said, I don't really have the power for naming episodes. Well, it's
0: just all, its funny, especially doing that after the, the DSA episode that we did. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah that'd work. be
5: fucking fantastic. You know, shitting on like Democratic Socialists with Brett from Rev Left. And then now we have Join the DSA, all caps, <laughs> exclamation point. Yeah, I, I love sorry.
3: it. Yeah, if I, if I could offer an alternate title, it would just be dsausa.org slash join. It just makes it faster for them to get to it um but yeah no seriously join the dsa there's a lot of great chapters but more importantly i think if i was going to give somebody a takeaway it's just go do something do some organizing right like struggle is about being with people and doing things and you work through the ideas as you do stuff but I, i think i'm hopeful for the next like few years hopefully sooner rather than later for the dsa to build to ian's criticism that it isn't the most multiracial organization on earth and it is filled with a lot of more affluent folks right college educated folks middle class type folks but i sincerely hope we can change that because i think we probably need to hear less from cis white men like
2: myself (laughs) so i feel well here's the thing with that though like when working-class people start to come over or start to come around, they're not generally uh, politically correct. They're not, you know, big on pronouns. I mean, and then, there, you know, there's a culture on the left that is very, you know, scolds people for that kind of stuff. And I I see that as a a problem, a pretty big one. What do you think about that?
3: No, I agree. Yeah, I think our role should be to provide in a positive way (laughs) Education, right? So, I mean, we can look in history, and uh, although it's a different time period, right? It's pretty well known that Fidel Castro had pretty uh, big balls, almost,
4: huge dick.
3: Yeah, great guy, <laughs> but had some pretty homophobic <laughs> views for a long time, right? And sort of yeah. came around and changed as a human being. So, I think if we treat human beings as always evolving people and as fundamentally flawed then i think we can yeah. do a lot more within our organizations rather than just you know you're canceled out right i don't think that's really constructive
4: and i did i did have another question and we can we can cut this if this is a a bit too risque uh for something that's public but and j- please tell us if it is but i mean what what are your guys stance on stalin have you done much uh self education into stalin i don't know a ton. I've
3: listened to a few different podcasts. Um rolls of the Roundtable. I think they're
4: Based. They Fucking based. Yeah, web, yeah, web, I web, yeah, I think they did an episode. So It was episode 37. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm being serious. It was it was titled Communist Democracy But Continue.
3: Yeah, I'm not I mean I'm not like Strongly anti, strong pro. I, I just, it, he was a guy of his time and he had, I mean, clearly took the Soviet Union to a point where it was a real competitor to the US and offered a real alternative to the capitalist, imperialist West. And so I, I think that, in looking at the material conditions of the people living in the Soviet Union at the time, speaks a lot to what his leadership brought. That's the nicest way to put it. So, I don't know, I try to view things from the perspective of, you know, if I was someone who was coming out of this, like, formerly peasant Russian society, you know, what do things look like for me?
1: The only thing I would add is that we're quick to be educated about the, don't they have like a monument, like the Murders of Communism or something like that? Victims of
5: Communist Memorial Fund?
1: Yeah, I mean, can we get one of those for capitalism? Because it's going to be bigger, you know. I mean, can yeah. we, do we count good. the million people that are dying from COVID? I mean, where do we start? I mean, no.
5: Uh, victims of Communist Memorial Fund is already counting every COVID death as victims of communism.
1: Of course,
4: I've been doing it. that for oh, a wow. while. Now. Okay, and we w- we wouldn't do justice if we didn't also let Ian answer
2: this question. Oh, uh, about Stalin? Yeah. Dude, Stalin's badass, bro. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Dude, I feel like Ian that's the only reason the
5: Ian has the mustaches, because of his love for Stalin.
2: <laughs> I mean, when, you know, a time when, like, when the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks sort of, and they were still, like, calling themselves social Democrats and shit, even the a lot of the Bolsheviks were, like, Stalin started a group called the Bolshevik Battle Squad and just started murking, just started robbing banks, throwing grenades, like... Hell yeah, that's bad as fuck. And I'm sorry, like yeah. I know, like shit happens. Like he had to turn uh, Russia and the Soviet bloc into a fortress because they were being attacked on all sides. Same with China, you know. Like when you are the only one, decisions have to be made. I mean, I'm sorry, like morals kind of take a back seat when you're at war. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind morality.
4: of that's kind of playing into like Parenti's view on Stalin. Like Parenti is not a Stalinist in any view. Like he's not even a huge fan of Stalin to a certain degree, but Parenti also points out a lot that Stalin was was kind of giving it a choice with how he would pursue socialism in the USSR, and if he would have taken the more you know friendly let let's all hold hands kumbaya approach that a lot of uh, Western leftists wanted him to take, he would have got decimated. I mean, definitely at the Battle of Barbarossa, which was. There was a lot of luck involved there besides just him having fucking huge balls and refusing to quit. But he had to choose to take that path of of strengthening the military, even though that did cut into, you know, food resources and other resources. He wouldn't have done that. The Soviet Union would have failed. It would have been overtaken by imperialist uh, capitalist nations. I mean, it was a horrible situation. And I like to think that Stalin, if he would have lived in in a better time, May have actually taken something a lot less militaristic, and I think that's kind of Peronist's view. Correct me if I'm wrong, but also I I like to remember, you know, how democratic Stalin was. You know, in the Constitution of '36, how he was the the first and only. You know, Khrushchev immediately reversed it, but how he was the only Soviet leader who was pursuing, you know, true democracy, and actually in the Constitution he gave. Democratic rights to all of the workers and not just like the local Soviets that, you know, before if you worked in in a warehouse or a manufacturing plant, your local Soviet that headed that, you know, really got to make the votes on on what was happening. And he voted upwards. And that was even hidden. And under Stalin, not only did he give voting rights to the, the workers themselves, but he Soviets vote transparent. The Soviets still could vote against the workers. But if he did, it was transparent. And he had to explain himself to the workers. Otherwise, the workers could literally vote the Soviet out and replace him. So that was one thing that was brilliant that Stalin did. And it's funny. He gets literally labeled a totalitarian because of that decision, because the Communist Party that was really strongly pushed by Khrushchev at the time they voted against it and said that democratic position was not what they were aiming for, and they voted, and Stalin lost that vote. And Stalin still put it in the Constitution. And Khrushchev tried to label him a totalitarian because he went against the party. But how the fuck are you totalitarian if the fucking policy expands democracy? That's one thing that I feel like is often lost in history. But And again, when I'm not trying to preach the gospel of Stalin. I honestly believe there's a lot of things about Stalin I'm not a fan of. But I think that... With anyone in history, we should appreciate some truly great achievements that Stalin did. And I mean, imagine fucking Trotsky at the Battle of Barbarossa. He would have literally just allied with Hitler, and who the fuck knows how that would have played out. I mean, Trotsky, you know, he was the general of the Red Army. Trotsky was extremely against the Mensheviks in the beginning. Like, he didn't want to do shit with the Mensheviks. But being such a fucking true Trotskyist as soon as it was time to actually get the party started, his fucking argument was, oh, the Bolsheviks can't do it without the Mensheviks. And that was, he tried to actually get Lenin to back down and not go through with the revolution because the Mensheviks weren't supporting it. And it's like, you were the motherfucker who hated the Mensheviks. Anyway, my rant over.
1: New title just dropped. Gospel of Stalin.
2: <laughs> got to say he looks great in that white military uniform i mean come
0: on Dude, he always looks yeah, nasty nice absolutely that so, i'm actually glad you took the time to reiterate that because like it, it is huge like especially hearing you describe that it's like you cannot objectively say that he was totalitarian for doing what he did in that situation um, i wanted to hear what you have to say Ward, but then i'm going to try and put a, a cap on the whole thing if i can
5: oh i was just gonna touch on uh, Parenzi's views on um, like just state powers making mistakes, like especially uh, in his speech, uh, Empire, where he was talking about like, you know, like uh, the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, they realized that to protect their social experiment that they needed to use instruments of state power to protect it. And those instruments can make mistakes. They can commit egregious offenses and crimes. But to view it as a fault of communism is... Just missing the point completely because the Sandinistas wouldn't have to have done any of those things if they weren't fighting off for an invasion. The secret police in the USSR wouldn't have had to do those things if it wasn't for the Cold War. Like there wouldn't have been a KGB if there wasn't for the CIA. You know, and to focus on the communist, it's oh, these faults of communism were solely on communism versus the threats that they're dealing with is just so short sighted.
0: I mean, communism, when it takes hold, it's under siege. Yeah. Like like Steven Seagal. It's <laughs> coming. Fuck off. And he takes a lot of ass. Stephen Seagal frequently does that. They have to make executive decisions, I think, also like Steven Seagal. No, that was Kurt Russell. Oh, sorry.
4: They were businessmen doing business. Come on, guys. But a, a, another parenting quote I like is that to say that communism fails every time it's tried is to ignore the successes of communism. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I want to try to see if I can tie all that together by saying that Stalin was based as fuck, uh, obviously. I mean, he beat the fucking Nazis, come on. and He so did do
4: that. Seven out of ten Nazi deaths were on the Eastern Front.
0: He helped out a lot during the Spanish
2: Civil War. I think that was a very important thing. If y'all haven't like, looked up... Like,
0: I can't tell if that's sarcastic or not.
2: No, it's not. I mean, he did. I mean, yeah, he sent some... People in there that did bad things, and George Orwell had some stuff to say, but who cares?
0: Yeah, and fuck Orwell. Yeah, <laughs> fuck him. You know, Stalin, when he was what, like younger than us, probably was fucking robbing banks with Lenin to fund his revolution. Oh my agreement. god, right? And it's like, no Lenin I'm not Lenin a clinic? By the way, um, okay. <laughs> nothing. Did you say you have a like clinic going on? No, <laughs>
1: well, we needed to fund it. I'm just saying we needed money. I told you I'm the yeah. treasurer. That's, well, what, that's right. what I'm
0: saying. <laughs> you know, if you find yourself in an organization that is as you know, you're in a DSA chapter that is robbing banks to fund your breakaway clinics, like then yeah, you have found the right DSA chapter. And I'm and not saying that because we <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, 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 I,
2: I want leftists to start doing crimes again. Right, damn, God, I was oh, still, yeah.
0: trying to find a way to phrase it so that we wouldn't. Like, I could leave it, it in and like not lose sleep over it. <laughs> but um, how yeah, is the do crime uh, eat hot chip lie? Smoke and smoke crash oh, like like, that's how I wanted to say it. I don't think that you're going to find yourself in a DSA chapter that is making you as cool as Stalin and not as cool as Stalin because of robbing banks being cool, but because of beating the Nazis being cool. That makes sense, right? That's like totally not actionable. We can't get taken up for that
4: and being a total fucking snack like young Damn. Stalin. Oh my god, snack.
2: when is it going to be the DSA battle squad? That's what I want <laughs> the red front of the DSA. <laughs>
5: I think the point Mike was trying to say is that, you know, you might not be able to be young Stalin, Robin banks to fund a revolution, but you are able to join your local organizations and radicalize your own DSA.
0: Well, that- I mean, that's not to say like fucking SRA, where are you at with the truck armed rallies? Like nobody's doing yeah, what? Like, <laughs> that. That's a good question. Like the SRA and they they actually do do that
4: on but I really would love to see like SRA showing up to more protests. And that that's one of the biggest issues with Biden winning over Trump is a lot of that shit shut the fuck down. Like if Trump would have won, you would have seen a lot more Black Lives Matter protests. You would have seen a lot more people in the streets for other various reasons. And that was really my biggest fear of Biden winning is that false victory and everyone saying, Oh, we fucking stuck it to orange, man. Now Let's go
0: back and be fucking slaves. Yeah, back to brunch. Imagine the rallies we would have seen if border agents were whipping Haitian immigrants under Trump. Like, imagine the... Like the
4: Christ. I'm saying. Yeah. All right, well, um, Trump, we can wrap Trump it up there, I guess. Trump 2024, baby! <laughs> oh, Jesus.
0: This motherfucking acceleration is like, I can't get on that level.
2: I saw a hat the other day that said Trump 2024. This was at a a local flea market. And on the hat, it says like Trump 2024. He will be back. Dude, I wanted it honestly. It was amazing.
0: <laughs> Did I tell you guys that, like, I was in what we call Pennsylvania? It's in like Western Pennsylvania. You're in the country. Like, you might as well be below the Mason Dixon line. <laughs> and we saw a sign in somebody's yard that said it was Trump, and they had literally taken the time to exacto knife out the Pence part because he's a traitor who didn't overturn the election. <laughs> I for love Trump. it.
2: Like, Hang him. Did they put Mike Lindell in his place?
0: <laughs> Oh <laughs> my um, No, they're just a just a hole. And I had to look at it for a second as we're going by. I'm like, what the oh my god, they took that time. Like <laughs> Or like Jesus Christ. Who <laughs> would
4: still just be the VP to Trump, like let's be honest.
2: I yeah. I admire the fanaticism, to be honest. Yeah. And I wish we had more of that on the left. That's all I'm saying, man. I wish we. Dude, I, I say wish we had that all the
4: time. I say it all the time, like the January 6th shit when everyone was shitting on it. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I'm so impressed. This is the first time the fucking right wing has actually earned some respect from me. God damn! I wish we could hey, do they're that. They were
2: fighting cops and shit with like batons and shit. I'm like, Dude. I want to do that. And then what did they do with not it? Fair. Fucking nothing.
4: You know, it's it's funny uh, when it was going down. So I used to, God, I really try not to mention employers. But I was working for State Farm at the time, which I'm not currently employed, but I was a a adjuster and I was going out to a home inspection and I I go into the property and I live in Georgia and at the time I was up in the woods, like near the Blue Ridge Mountains, Uh, it gets, it gets pretty Southern in that area to say the least. And I, I go into this house and the lady, right as shit goes down, I'm walking in and halfway through my inspection, the shit just starts breaking out. And I walked back to the front room and I started asking her some questions. She's like, I'm sorry, honey, you got to, you got to chill. They're about to drag those cheaters up out of Congress and, oh, and, put, no. all the, and put all their heads on pikes. And I'm like, excuse me. Just, dude, it was uh, so funny. She just starts going down the line. She's like, they going to get pants too. Cause you know, he, he's actually with Biden and they are going to get what's coming to them. This <laughs> like, oh. is a secret
2: Antifa. <laughs>
0: Was, I mean, was, okay. I wanna I wanna uh, wrap up the episode. We're getting to our lot like sorry. we're just wrapping this up just at nine o'clock on the dot. Um so I want to get your final plugs, like go ahead and plug your social medias or anything you guys would like to plug as far as your organization is concerned, so that people can find you online or anything that they would find helpful as leftists. Uh we'll start with uh you, Krista. Or I know, sorry, Robert, I guess you're the head of the chapter, right? So maybe we should start with you, Robert <laughs> sure. then. Well, we have the same Twitter for the chapter, so it's at Wilmington okay. DSA. Um
3: and I don't know website. I guess it's WilmingtonDecade dot work So if you're ever in the Wilmington area,
0: hit us up. We'll grab a pick. talk communism. Nice. Oh yeah. Ian, uh, you have anything you want to plug?
2: Um, I I don't have anything helpful right now. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Final Fantasy four twenty. If, oh, like yeah. yeah. if you like news, uh, pretty men like me, then you can, <laughs> you can log on and and look at me. And have a good time.
0: <laughs> I like it. Chris, did you have anything else you wanted to plug? No, I mean, just
1: uh, I still feel bad for Ian and his and his bad DSA. If you ever want to organize with us, we're doing an abolition study. Um, it's online, so like you can come study uh, prison abolition with us. Or anytime you want to organize with us, you're our next-door neighbor in South Carolina. Yeah. So exactly.
2: yeah, I mean, there's been talks of trying again, and we may do that. I don't know. We'll figure it out.
4: Sounds good, man. It's funny how Ian got invited onto this. So, uh, Me and Ian apparently have been friends on Facebook for, like, years. I have no idea when we added each other. We've never talked before. Like, we just randomly have been friends for whatever fucking reason for a long-ass time. And the other day, he's, like, uh, posting some Stalin shit. I, I don't know what it was. Probably something along the lines of... Stalin killed my grandfather, and then the other person being, like, good. Well, he
2: probably deserved it. Definitely <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
4: and, and I literally was just like, that's, that's fucking hilarious, and I, like, responded to a few of his memes, and we just started chatting for a while, and I was just like, damn, like, I didn't realize I had actual comrades on my Facebook account, and we've just been chopping it up, and I'm, I'm so glad you came. Like, dude, I've, I've been having a blast, Um, and we, we definitely got to kick it, like, IRL sometime. Maybe we'll fucking go up to Wilmington sometime and and let them show us around uh
2: some fucking brake light center. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can change brake lights,
0: so yeah, me too, me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I want to applaud that. Like that is a legit yeah, genius thing they're doing because that is gonna help so many people. Like the amount of traffic incidents or I mean just like police yeah. brutality incidents you've avoided that were traffic related because of that. I can only imagine. So
4: we we should already have public programs that do shit like that. Like just the safety alone, let alone the fact that you're you're helping out people of color who are no, just people. They, ra- they couldn't
0: have so a state wild. run or a state funded program to counteract the funding that they're getting from the police brutality. Like <laughs> that's fair.
1: They would be giving them tickets. That's their, it's called giving tickets.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that would be the um, like, clinic. Yeah.
0: Alright so then we can wrap it up there Um, I'm going to just do our our little closing thing that we do like plugging our social media and everything and reading our Patreon subscribers so you guys might have to stick around for that but I also did want to say at the risk of going off on a tangent was that how much I had wished on January 6th that those guys had actually pulled it off like the whole time I was like oh I fucking want you to do it I fucking want you to do it I want you to do it I want (laughs) want lawlessness so bad because you motherfuckers don't realize like you
5: allegedly Uh, allegedly. (laughs) I'm I'm cutting all that I was going to say, well, we yeah, have 30 yeah. round mags for a reason.
0: Come on. <laughs>
2: Minecraft. This is all on Minecraft. <laughs> Dude, all you got to do is just
0: get the positive KD. It's all about your KD ratio. <laughs> no, but they won't. They won't. They never will. It's a big LARP. Uh, the whole series went from base to cringe real fast. Four hours they LARPed. Four hours and they were like, all right, we're going home, you guys. It's like, come on. You could have died. Got a real, it got real cringe when they started playing Bob Marley
5: on speakers.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, yeah, that was like yeah. a whole thing. <laughs> no, I mean, the leftist, I really do, I, I kind of would like to see it, because I do think that we can take, what do they call them, like, meal team six or something like that?
2: I'd love to see it. Like, <laughs> the gravy seals?
1: Yeah! <clears throat>
2: oh, no, my fatphobia. God. <laughs> Fat phobia. you're cancelled.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for oh having someone to leave before I'm
3: cancelled. Too late. Yeah, thanks for our chapter that's sanctioned.
5: Yeah, thank you so much for coming.
4: Yeah, and I really do hope you guys can come back another time. Like, I'll, we'll we'll stay in touch and hopefully find another topic where it's not even just specifically DSA. I mean, you guys are comrades
0: and I, I'd Is love to hear your takes solid? on other if things. You feel like the
1: topic's going to be solid. Uh, <laughs> like, we have, yeah, we have we so, so many volunteers solid.
0: for our Stalin episode when we finally do that. We're, I don't know who we're saving it for, but. but thank you guys. Seriously, this was fun. Take care, you guys. See y'all. Yeah, thank you. Peace out. Peace. All right, so then I will plug our social medias. Go ahead, Sterling. Why don't you plug the Twitter? Twitter oh, is yeah. at <laughs> <laughs> Ian's trying to figure out how to dip.
4: <laughs> I can I'm kick sorry. you out. I think yeah, I can't <laughs> you I'm good you. All right. See ya. Thanks again, Ian. <laughs> Not a problem. I think I think he gave me a last wink. I appreciate that. Um, nice. I love I love that guy. We just ran. Yeah, he was cool, I know, dude. It's great. Um, but the Twitter is at turn Leftist pod or the backup, which is uh, Stalin420 fan supergirl. 6969. Yes. Yeah, of course.
5: Of
0: course. I thought course, you actually made it. a backup. I was gonna say wise choice, buddy, but <laughs> you're right. Uh go ahead, Ward. Plug your insta. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at
5: millennial common spelling. And you can follow me on Twitter at WarLolly, W-A-R-D-L-A-W-L-E-Y.
4: Have you considered, like, changing your last name to Lawless? That'd be so much sicker.
0: It would be sweet. Still <laughs> so, like, I wish you could have been here for uh, the one last night, like... Oh. When... <laughs> the four-hour hey, recording session. Went for four hours. Like, I stopped. I t- oh I was God. like, you guys, we finished all my notes. We had the whole episode done in, like, the two-hour time span. I was like, all right, you guys, I'm going to go eat dinner. Like, shoot the shit if you want, but I'll... I'm out like and then I came back and they were still at it I'm like you motherfuckers. What are you guys doing? And then, oh God. It and like then four Lawrence,
5: hours and like 20 minutes or some shit like that. Lawrence, and Lawrence, can't Lawrence, get
4: Lawrence.
0: me and Caitlin on like, we should just go. This is every Tuesday night now. Yeah,
5: dude, oh it's going to be ridiculous. Good luck with the editing on that. Uh, very descriptive uh,
4: section about uh, long balls. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you guys saw the, the Twitter, but I actually got in this debate with this fucking anarchist the other day that I, I openly, publicly invited onto the po- podcast because he said some dumbass cringe shit about uh, socialism is stateless. And I was like, okay, do you mind telling me where you got that theory? And he said, Marx. So I dropped a fucking chapter of Marx just shitting on utopian leftists and explaining why you, you can't condemn like real world, actually communist states. And he just shut the fuck up. And like one of his little Twitter fucking uh, comrades jumped on there and start started attacking. And he's like, Oh, you know, he, he said, no, just back off. And I was like, I was genuinely asking where he got this theory. He said it was for Marx. It's not for Marx. I'm just wondering where it came from. He's like, no, you just want to, you just want a high ranking guest so that you can, uh you know, uh, market, market your podcast. And I was like, well, yeah, Hey, he has 3,500 followers and B, we're a communist podcast. We don't give a fuck about marketing or making money. And He's like, no, oh, like you, know, like, you don't have rent to pay. And I'm like, you think this podcast is paying my rent? Oh my God, I
0: wish to. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck do they think we are? Yeah. <laughs> All right. That being said, let's thank our Patreon subscribers nonetheless. because. All right. So thank you as always to Sigmund, Stewart, Pete, Colton, Ian. Michael, still not me, L. Robert, Allison, Zach, James, Rave Enigma, Marvin, K. Ryder, Not Drinking Water 69, James again, <laughs> Mike, Madboy, Christian, Elum, Venture X, Jaren has the best opinion, Jared, Hayden, another Jared, Bill Killianaires, Bro You Know Marks, David, Tristan, Devonte, your mother, Charlotte, a third James, again, still the first James. Maybe maybe that's how we fight the water wars: is we we also
4: reject water and just like pound monster in a drink.
0: I feel like canned beverages will be a thing that people are going to be. It, it's going to be like in high demand. Rondo, it's got what plants need. <laughs> <laughs> electrolytes. It's got what you
4: know. It's got it's got what plants crave. Oh yeah, right. <laughs>
0: Uh, Bishop Mew, Rural Marxist, MC, John Boveyfan420, Aaron, Kyle, Jean-Claude Manhans, male, Phil, Blackwater Janitor, and Jay Reese. Thank you all. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you. This was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Have a good night. Peace, comrades. Bye. Peace out.